The text is the gospel reading from John 9. Now, as Jesus walked along, he saw a man who had been born blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who committed the sin that caused him to be born blind? Was it he or was it his parents? On one level, this is logical. God threatens to punish all who break his commandments. If an adult got sick, he could blame his own behavior, perhaps. But if an infant came into the world with a problem, why that, according to Exodus 20, verse 5, would be a case of visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children. The problem is these folks tried to make one-to-one -one correspondences, especially since God canceled that business about the sins of the fathers. That was in Jeremiah 31:29 and in Ezekiel 17. But people still mess this up. Catherine Linskog suffered for over 20 years with MS, which of course gradually weakens and paralyzes the body. She was amazed at some of the advice that she had received from friends and relatives. A few typical examples. You must really like to be sick. You bring so much of it on yourself. That was from a nearby relative who had never so much as sent a get well card. The reason I have perfect health is that I think right. Nobody gets sick unless he thinks wrong. That's from another relative of hers. I know just how you feel about being crippled. I had a bad case of tennis elbow last month. Or, your present improvement is just wishful thinking. How's that for encouragement? No better is God must cherish you to trust you with such a burden. Or about this one, I know you fake your limp to try to get attention. That was from her pastor who was entirely serious. All this is self-justifying and a sign of blindness. And so Jesus answered the disciples, neither. It was no sin on his part or his parents' part. Rather, it was to let God's work be revealed in him. Jesus is not interested in the cause of this blindness so much as in the purpose. God is not as much concerned for the past as he is for the future. Sins are gloriously covered by Jesus' death. If bad things continue to happen, it's to show God is at work in the world, and his goal is, in St. Paul's words, to conform us to the image of his Son. In St. John's words, that we would be Jesus' friends and share all things with him in common. Notice how Jesus' we brings the disciples and us on board. We must do what he who sent me wants done so long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am light for the world. 
Jesus is careful to point out the meaning of the sign even before he does it. It is an instance of light coming into darkness. This is a story of how a man who sat in darkness was brought to see the light, not only physically, but spiritually. He comes to faith in the process. On the other hand, it is also a story of how those who thought they saw were blinding themselves to the true light of God and plunging further into the dark. With that, John writes, Jesus spat on the ground, made mud with his spit, and smeared the man's eyes with mud. Mark and John don't shy away from the spit miracles. It's a graphic way of showing the direct physical connection of Jesus with us. It's almost like an anointing. Then Jesus told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. This name means one who has been sent. Double meaning. The man is sent, but Jesus is the one who has been sent by God. And so the man went off and washed, and he came back able to see. John doesn't spend much time telling us about the miracle's details. It's the dialogue that follows that interests him. Now his neighbors and the people who had been accustomed to see him begging began to ask, isn't this the fellow who used to sit and beg? And some were claiming that it was he, and others were saying that it wasn't, but just somebody that looked like him. And he himself said, I am the one, all right. Typical of these scenes in John, some there are who are somewhat open to believing, but for others, no way. So they said to him, how are your eyes opened? And he said, the man that they called Jesus made mud and smeared it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And when I did go and wash, I got my sight. Where is he? They asked. I have no idea, the man said. The care with which this evangelist has drawn this portrait of increasing insight on the one hand and hardening blindness on the other hand is masterful. Three times the former blind man, who is truly gaining knowledge, humbly confesses his ignorance. Three times the Pharisees, who are really plunging deeper into complete ignorance of Jesus, make confident statements about what they know of him. They took the man who had been born blind to the Pharisees. Note that it was on a Sabbath day that Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. They too asked him how he had gotten his sight. And he told them, put mud on my eyes. And I washed, and now I see. So some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. If the man had been born blind, they would reason. Jesus could have waited just one more day to heal him. But as we'll see, the blind man has another explanation. Jesus is a prophet. Others objected. How can a man perform such signs and still be a sinner? And they were sharply divided. They addressed the blind man again. Since it was your eyes he opened, what have you got to say about him? He's a prophet. Now the Jewish authorities sink even farther into darkness. So far are they from admitting that Jesus could be who he claimed to be, 
that they try to deny that a miracle occurred at all. They go and they get the parents of the guy. Is this your son who you say was born blind? How can he see now? Parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he got his sight or who gave it to him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. Then John makes a comment about, it was relevant to his own time, about people who were believers yet afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue, and then says that's why his parents said he's old enough, go ask him. In reporting this, he's speaking to his contemporaries. By telling the story this way, though, John shows us that what Jesus did and said is meant to be a light in his own and every other generation, ours included. So the Pharisees bring the guy in a second time, and the man answers with complete and absolute logic, if with some irony. Swear by God to tell the truth, they say to him. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And so the blind man replies, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. All that I know is I was blind, and now I can see. They provoke the healed man, who had been self-controlled up to this point, to jab back with a bit of sarcastic humor. They persisted. Just what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I told you once and you didn't pay attention, he answered. Why do you want to hear it all over again? Don't tell me that you want to become his disciples too. And they get really mad. And scornfully they shoot back at him. You are the one who are this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know God talked to Moses, but we don't even know where this fellow comes from. That's an allusion to the rumor that he was illegitimate. The man objected, now that's strange. Here you don't even know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God pays no attention to sinners, but he does listen to someone who's devout and obeys his will. It's absolutely unheard of that anyone ever opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could have done nothing. Well, at this point, they go ballistic. And they take his blindness as proof that he was evil. In contrast with the disciples of Jesus who only entertained the question and were corrected by Jesus that this blind man's blindness was somehow his own fault, they conclude that it must have been. What? they exclaimed. You were born steeped in sin and now you're lecturing us? And then they threw him out. In all of this, there is not one single person, not even this man's parents, as far as we can tell, to rejoice along with the blind man at what had happened. Joy at a wonderful event has been ruined. What becomes clear in all of this, of course, is that those who are truly blind are those who utterly refuse to see. The man's eyes were blind and were now opened for a purpose, to show the glory of God and also to teach us something about ourselves. For God knows that all humans have been spiritually blind from birth until the spirit is created in them anew. 
The bright glory of God being revealed in the work of Jesus will lead this blind man a long distance toward understanding himself and the rotten hand that he figured life to have dealt him. His opinions of Jesus, first, a prophet, second, from God. He is as yet unaware of who Jesus is, namely the Son of Man who will come in the end to bring life to all who receive him. When Jesus heard they threw him out, he found the man and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? You have seen him, Jesus replied, for it is he who is speaking with you. The truly decisive step is reached only when Jesus, the word sent into the flesh from God, reveals himself. When Jesus says, you have now seen him, in fact, he is the one speaking to you. I do believe, the ex-blind man said and bowed down to worship him. Without the intervention of God's word from heaven, life's experiences would remain all dark and meaningless. Our world would not have a goal. We wouldn't have an eternal destiny. But the first thing is to realize our condition. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And yes, Christ does make us see. We can take comfort in the fact that Jesus doesn't desert this man. The healing was not a one-shot event. Jesus' coming may provoke a crisis, a judgment, but remember what he said to Nicodemus, that he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And he doesn't desert us either. When we have the moments of insight, When we can see God's reasons for something, we rest assured that he is indeed there for us. But there are those who will not see. So Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment that those who do not see may be able to see and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees were listening and overheard it and they said, surely we're not blind. Jesus told them, If only you were blind, then you wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now that you claim to see, your sin remains. So much for self-justifying. Spiritual sight means persisting in faith. We, of course, want to see the answer to questions like, why was the man born blind? We may not know. But already we are becoming wiser when we have seen how God acts with us in his own time, in his own ways, to his own glory. We can face life, not with blind courage, but with our eyes opened to see ourselves in him and our world transformed in him as we journey home. We know the landmarks along the way the churches, the homes, the hospitals, and the cemeteries. But we also know our guide and who it is that leads us. For if he has begun to open our eyes with the mud of this world, how much better will it be when we can see clearly in heaven? God grant it. Amen.
And may the peace of God, which passes understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.